Good evening and welcome to Casual Encounters. I'm your host, Bruce. This is my podcast where I talk all things Magic the Gathering, in particular casual Magic the Gathering, with a particular focus on EDH and singleton formats. I will talk some breaking news in the world of Magic the Gathering, advice for helping you keep your costs down, and how to play on a budget. I share a few deck lists and generally try to do my part to help casual players find their way in the murky waters of Magic the Gathering. Think of me as your guide. I'm here to help. So, with no further ado, we'll get down to our business and today, and we'll get down to our first segment today, which is the Theros Beyond Death pre-release. All right, so Theros from Beyond pre-releases were just this past weekend, and it, from the looks of things on social media, it was a blast. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to play. At a family event, I had to attend, and I missed out on the whole weekend. And I was a little disappointed, but you know what? The nice thing about Magic is there's always another pre-release. Three months from now, there'll be another one, and after that, there'll be another one, and another one, and another one. So there's lots of opportunity. And I think that's actually one key piece of advice for people who are uh, casual players or playing on a budget or all that, is that there's always another opportunity to play and to try something new and to try out cool cards, always these are great opportunities. And so just because you missed out on a pre-release this time doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. Quite far from it. So I did miss out on the event uh, in paper. However, I did play a little online. And uh, I made a point when I was online on Arena to save up my gold for a couple of weeks in advance and picking up a bunch of packs uh, on Arena so that I could try out some of the new Theros cards. When I put those cards into some constructed decks and sat down to play some standard, uh, I was really impressed with some of the cards that I saw. Uh, there were some really powerful new decks that I hadn't seen before, I hadn't anticipated seeing. There were some uh, older decks that got some updates that I think are really, really positive. Um, so I think that the, the set in the whole is really impactful, very strong, very powerful. Lots of neat new things that you can do with the cards. Um, and so... Uh, I thought I today the best way for me to help some of you guys out there would be to share some cards of note that I think are pro- have a pretty bright future that if you're playing on Arena or if you're playing uh, in paper or whatever you're doing, cards that you know should probably be things that you're looking to find. And if you find them, uh, uh, you know, put them in your decks, make use of them because I think you're going to be pretty surprised at what you have. All right. So my far, I have five cards of note. Uh, the first one being Nightmare Shepherd. All right. Um, I think this is perhaps the most aggressively ca- costed, uh, constructed playable card that I've seen. Uh, four mana for a 4-4 four, four flyer is very aggressively costed. So it's black, black, and two for a 4-4 four, four flyer. And the interesting thing with this one is that it, when a creature dies, you can choose to exile it with, uh, with uh, Nightmare Shepherd. And it returns to play as a token of of itself, but it's a 1-1. One, one. Um, now, this is particularly potent with creatures with pretty powerful uh, enter the battlefield triggers. And if you combine this sort of card with something like maybe Yarrick or a Panharmonicon or something like that, you can get some really gross value off of uh, the stacking those triggers. As it stands... I think a 4-4 flyer for 4 is a very good rate, plus this ability is really, really good. 
Um, I saw it played predominantly in mono black decks where uh, you're looking to exploit the enter the battlefield trigger on Grey Merchant of Asphodel, which is my next card I'm going to mention after this. Uh, but Grey Merchant of Asphodel, which says that it, your opponents lose life equal to your devotion to black. Well, if you have Nightmare Shepherd, you get two, two devotion for black out of its casting cost. You get two more out of Grey Merchant of Asphodel. You're minimally draining drain your opponent for four. Um, if you have any other permanents, black permanents on the battlefield, you're probably getting to seven, eight, nine uh, life points drained. And then if you can sack it through maybe something like a witch's oven or some other sacrifice outlet, then you Nightmare Shepherd can trigger again, and back comes Great Merchant of Asphodel as a token, and it does it all again. So, um, really powerful card. Um, if the coast is clear, of course, you can always just beat down. So it's, a, it's sort of a, a, an all-purpose tool to, to, to fit, help people finish people off. I think it really gives your uh, mono black decks uh, a really good tool and a really good way to, to attack you know, players on multiple, on multiple axes. So I think that's really, really good. Um, right now, it is approaching $3 and rising. As people are starting to re figure out what the price is, that is quite good. Um, so where do I do? I always find my 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 data for pricing off MTG stocks. Um, other people use MTG Goldfish or TCG Player or whatever you choose to use. When I when I'm telling you values, I'm telling you I'm getting them off of MTG stocks. So MTG stocks had it listed at three dollars um, and rising. If you look at the the graphing uh, the graph associated with it, it's on the rise. Um, which suggests that players are realizing it's actually very good. I'd be encouraging you, if you're a casual player, you want to get a copy of this. Um, I don't know where the ceiling on this is. Now, it is only a rare. So the ceiling is limited. It might make five bucks. It might make six. I'd be surprised if it made much more than that, at least currently. Maybe if it migrates over to Pioneer in a mono black deck, maybe you would see another couple of bumps up in terms of price. But at $3, I feel like, you're probably okay to grab this at three bucks and play it and not be sad. And like I mentioned, it has applicability in other formats. Uh, you might want to play it in Pioneer. Remains to be seen. Definitely has a place in in uh, Commander or in EDH where you can use it to do all sorts of other gross things with end of battlefield triggers. You can stack them up with Panharmonicon and Yarok as the first initial place where I'd start. But there's lots of other options for this sort of card. Um, so I think $3 is probably not a bad price tag. Probably, you know, if you can get it at a good price, um, you know, either as a discount or a sale or you have store credit, probably worth your while. All right, that's my card. That's my that's my first card today. Next, I have Grey Merchant of Asphodel. So Grey Merchant of Asphodel was, was, is a reprint from the original Theros block. And he got nicknamed Gary. Um, and Gary was really good in the original Theros block and his texting, his templating on his, the text box is kind of deceiving. Now they've typically moved away from that sort of text, the text that he has on it, but he says all other opponents or all your opponents lose life equal to your devotion to black. Uh, and you gain life equal to that, e equal to that. So it means that if you're playing Gary in a four person game, you can now use get you know you're draining all the other players at the table 
for your devotional block, which is if, if your devotional block is seven, you're draining 21 points of life, you know, out of your opponents, you're getting all that life. And that's a pretty huge life swing. Um, you know, so I think he's really good in standard right now. Um, black decks are looking to exploit that ETB. Um, commander players are probably happy to see him come back because one thing that's happened since the previous iteration of Theros is there's a whole lot of new commander players that have entered into the game. Uh, lots of pre-constructed decks, lots of uh, great new entry points, whether it's through Brawl or other things, and just players looking to migrate into something where their old cards are, are useful again. And I think Gary's going to see quite a bit of play again. Now, I wouldn't suggest you need to go out and buy this. This is an uncommon in this set. Um, it's not good. It's not going to come free, but it's going to be plentiful enough that you're going to be able to find it without too much expense. But if you find one, you pop one in a pack, you trade for one from a from a buddy. Um, hold on to it. Hold on to Gary. I think Gary's going to be something that you're going to you're going to you know want. And I think the fact that his uh, enter the battlefield trigger is sort of one of those eternally good text boxes, I think you're going to want to save that. So pull it out of your bulk, pull it out of your or your box or whatever, and set it aside and say, that's going to go in a deck. I just don't know which one. But my third card is Elspeth's son's nemesis. Um, now, she is sort of the headliner for the set, uh, or at least one of them, because she's... Uh, I guess was the protagonist in the original Theros block. Um, and there's a, there's a card, Elizabeth's son's champion, where if you follow the lore at all, Heliod, the, the, the white God or Zeus like God of Theros championed her to go and destroy Xenagos, who was trying to become a God and sent uh, Elizabeth after him, uh, after Xenagos as his champion. And then Betrayer. So that's why you get the sentence nemesis part and why people are so excited to see her back. Now, she's very different in the original one from, or, or the version from Theros uh, in, that, in that block. In that block, she's a house, um, and people are still playing her extensively today. This Elizabeth, I think, is a little more deceiving. So let's review her quickly so people know what, what we're looking at. So she's two in white-white, and she, for a five loyalty planeswalker. For minus one, up to two target creatures you control each get plus two plus one until end of turn. All right, so she pumps some creatures. Fair enough. Minus two, create two one-one human soldier creature tokens. That's a very um, Elsbeth-like ability to make tokens. Uh, I think every iteration that she has had has had some sort of ability to make 1-1 one, one tokens. And then her minus 3 is you gain to gain 5 life. Now, you may notice all those are negative abilities. She has no way to tick up of her own accord. She would, if you would like to tick her up, you need to proliferate um, or find some other way to increase her counters. That's not easy. Um, however, she does have escape on her. So for 4 and white, white, and exile four other cards from your graveyard, you can cast Elspeth's Son's Nemesis from your graveyard. So I was fooling around with her in one of my decks, and I think that that escape clause is really what puts her over the top. Um, 
in a green white I've been playing her in a green white token shell but I suppose you can go any in any white token shell I think she's quite good the plus two plus one in the first ability can be something where you put it on a couple of life linkers or a couple of creatures and sort of tips uh, combat in your favor such that you're probably gonna either you're gonna get bad blocks or no blocks and get through for damage um, the minus two that makes tokens is going to be uh, useful for because lots of token decks want to swarm the the board with tokens. She's pretty decent at that too. Um, the minus five, or sorry, the minus three, where she gains five life, could be surprisingly useful against aggressive strategies where they're looking to attack you and bring your life total down to zero as fast as they can. And stabilizing with some with a life gain of five, and they want to attack Elizabeth instead of you. That could be actually really, really powerful. So um, I think she's pretty good, but I think that escape clause is truly the backbreaking part because we've never seen a planeswalker with the, so this sort of recursive ability where if you can get a bunch of cards in your yard and then cast her again and get all that value from her a second time or a third time even, then I think you're probably going to find that you out-resourced your opponents and moved on to win. So I was running her in a green-white shell, and she was exactly the sort of thing I wanted to do. Either I wanted to pump some creatures, I wanted to make more bodies, uh, maybe I want to stabilize more life uh, so I can then cast a really big uh, March of the Multitudes or something of that ilk. So I think she's actually pretty good. Now, do I think she's going to be a Tier 1 card? Probably not, at least not right now. Um, but I think she's a lot better than she looks because I think initially she was panned pretty badly. And I'll be honest with you, I don't blame people for panning her. We were just coming out of a set where Oko is running around and Oko was nutto, like just nutty putty because his abilities were off the charts good. And so you move to the very next set and you're looking at the face planeswalker for the set and Elizabeth is not nearly as backbreaking. She's still very good, but again, not in the same league as Oko. So right now she's $7 and her price is sinking. Um, do I think it's going to go much lower? Probably a little bit. So you can wait a bit more before you grab a couple. But if they get down about 5 bucks, I grab a couple and expect they probably would bounce back. Um, if only because she's, she, you know, that escapability might prove to be surprisingly good. So I really do think uh, Elizabeth Sun's champion, sorry, Sun's nemesis has a really bright future. I think for casual players, she's, uh, she's interesting and she's uh, kind of unique <clears throat> and something that we should probably be looking at a little more seriously um, to play with. And she's going to be affordable. So you're going to so sort of perfect storm there for a casual player looking to play on a budget with something interesting and powerful. All right, number four, Shatter the Sky. This is a very powerful Wrath effect, and uh, it's going to be put to really good use by control decks of all stripes in a bunch of different formats. It's been a long time since we've had a format of Wrath, um, and as much as this has a clause to try and make your opponent uh, not feel so bad for getting wrecked by a, by a sweeper, the fact remains it's a format of sweeper. And if you're killing things that are small, uh, either tokens or a mono red deck that's playing little things, uh, you're not going to care. 
Like you're not that that, tra- that clause that says they draw a card isn't is just going to be blank text. So I think it's going to be really good. Um, now the problem with sweepers, particularly at the rare slot, is they tend not to accrue a lot of value. And right now it's about two dollars and sinking. If you want a player, play this card. Go and go and get them. It's going to cost you eight bucks, maybe less. And you're going to have them for the duration of standard. And you're going to say, geez, I'm only glad I have these these, uh, these, these board wipes. Um, do I think it's going to be applicable in Commander or EDH? Absolutely. Wipe, board wipes in Commander are pretty plentiful. But there haven't been too many at the 4 mana mark recently. People are still talking about playing Day of Judgment or Wrath of God or Damnation which are pretty much your hallmark um, for mana wrath. There's a few others that exist that incur additional costs. Toxic Deluge comes to mind, things like that. But at four mana, this comes down. It's double white, so you don't any deck playing white could really re- realistically run it. I think it's going to probably see a certain amount of play. Um, is it going to push out other wipes? Maybe. Maybe it's going to push out, uh, you know, maybe a fumigate or something like that. Um, I don't think it's going. To, it's 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 definitely not an upgrade from Wrath of God or Day of Judgment, but definitely going to be warrant some consideration. Um, so definitely something I think people should be looking at. Uh, if you find them in a pack or see them somebody for, up forgot them for trade, grab them, put them away in a box, and uh, when you need them for that next white deck you're building, um, you'll have them and you won't be sad. My last card, I think, is Phoenix of Ash. Um, and my, my logic for this one is I think that uh, this sort of recursive creature uh, is really potent, particularly in uh, sort of mid-rangey or bigger red decks uh, where you're going to have the ability to uh, use the escape clause on it. So let's review this one too because, it's again, it's brand new, and that escape clause might be a little bit tough for people to keep straight but um, we'll we'll have we'll review it quickly but so where are we going here we go so phoenix of ash and it says so red red and one for for a two two flying haste creature and for two and a red phoenix of phoenix of ash gets plus two plus oh until end of turn all right so right there you've got a pretty good creature pretty typical sort of phoenix Esque card, um, and then her the escape clause is two red red exile three other cards from your graveyard, and when Phoenix of Ash escapes, it gets plus one plus one plus one plus one counter on it. So I think you're looking at a card here that uh, is surprisingly good, uh, quite easy to recur, uh, and comes out as a three three, and the ability to pump it to make it bigger uh, means that it, you know in the late game it can scale. If you have a big pile of mana that you've generated through uh, Nykthos or um, all sorts of other ways in which you can generate enormous piles of mana in red, you can dump them into your Phoenix um, that's you know already an evasive threat and get through a huge walloping of damage. Um, I think in standard, I think it could be it could be something that, that people are underappreciating and looking to grab. So I think this is actually surprisingly. Rec- surprisingly strong and people just discounted it as being another bad phoenix there are typically a number at least one phoenix in a set and many of them have been bad traditionally but uh, this one i think is actually pretty decent 
Um, now, the other piece that makes this probably better than you might think is it's about hovering around a dollar right now. I think I saw it about a dollar twenty-nine. Um, so, for a fairly modest investment, you can grab a pretty powerful card. Um, haste, flying, you know, a sort of quasi-fire-breathing effect, recursive. Um, it comes with a counter. So, if you have a deck that cares about counters, if you things that cares about flying, things that are, you have lots of possibilities here to turn this sort of card into. Uh, something that's really useful, something powerful, something people want to play with. And uh, you know what? You can't go wrong. So will it be a $10 card? Absolutely not. But I think it's going to be better than advertised and probably well worth uh, you spending the time to grab a couple, of, a couple of them. All right? That's my contribution for Theros Beyond Death, particularly from the pre-release. Um, I am going to have an opportunity to try out a pre-release kit I have a friend of mine who's going to come over one night. We're going to play some uh, play some some magic and play some limited from Theros Beyond Death uh, sealed with uh, awesome pre-release kits. But uh, I didn't really get a chance to try out the the, the pre-release itself, so this will have to suffice for me. But that's my thoughts with this with the set. Now on to segment two, uh, some some top cards for uh, from Theros Beyond Death for EDH. Um, so. Move on to section seg segment two. All right, we're back with section segment two. Segment two today is talking about uh, cars with Theros Beyond Death that I think are going to be uh, sleeper picks for EDH. Things that people have, you know, <clears throat> maybe glossed over um, because they have been so blinded by some of the other things. Um, <clears throat> so. I've got uh, my top five cards. And, you know, some of them I think are going to be pretty slam dunkish. Um, some of them I think are going to be people, things people are going to not disagree and say, what happened to this? What happened to that? I'm going to tell them right here now and say it. Um, Euro, who's the, the green blue Elder Giant Titan S card, uh, didn't make my list. Um, neither did Croxa, uh, the, the black red one, or any of the gods. Um, oh, sorry. Well, I do have one god on my list, but uh, I think um, those cause a lot of the gods and these the elder giants and such are uh, so dead obvious that if you open one in a pack uh, or you trade for one at a store and you're a commander player, like you probably should be looking to put those someplace because I think they're good um, universally. So um, I do think other cards probably worth a look. Um, so I've included some of the, some other cards on my list apart from just the the obvious mythic inclusions. All right, so um, my yeah, okay. So my number five card here is Nylea's Intervention. Um, I think this is actually a really good card that you just really ought to be looking at, and I think uh, the extra benefit here is the price point at which you're getting it right now. So first off. The fact that you can that proceed to use this to uh, pick up any land in your deck. Because it reads, search your library for up to X land cards and reveal them, put them into your hand, and shuffle your library. So for green, green, and X, you go get one land. For three, for four mana, so two and green, green, you're getting two land. That's already pretty decent. For five, you're getting three 
uh, for six mana, you're getting four. And after that, it starts getting into crazy territory. Um, but it doesn't say basics. That's the piece that I think people have sort of forgotten about. It doesn't say basics. You can go and get whatever broken lands you have in your deck. And let's be real. There's been a lot of broken lands that get print, have been printed in the last number of years. Um, so maybe you need a solution to a land that's really potent on the other side of the table. You go get your Field of Ruin or your Ghost Quarter or your, heaven forbid, your Wasteland or whatever you got. Um, you go you go and get your Lotus uh, Lotus Field. You go and get your uh, Field of the Dead. You go and get your Maze of Ith. You go and get your on and on it goes. You go and find these things and you can go find a whole bunch of them. And then it's a green card. And so green automatically has got all sorts of ways to play additional lands into play. And so I think you, you're just, if you're playing a lands matters deck, and this is clearly where this is supposed to go. Um, and you've got, you need to have ways to put additional lands into play. Um, and in fact, there's even one in this set that plays so nicely with Nylia's intervention. I, it made my list too, and you just can't ignore it. Um, so, you know, I think that first clause right there makes down these interventions something super interesting the other piece though and i think it's probably often overlooked is nylea's intervention deals twice x damage to each creature with flying all right so that is going to be a much less used ability i think however let's remember that there are people out there who are playing Kalia decks who are full of demons and dragons and angels what do all those do they all fly uh people play ur dragon Herb Dragon has a pile of dragons, and they all fly. There's a number of other, you know, some people play fairies, and they all fly. Some people play thopters, and they all fly. Green needs that ability to defend itself from flyers, and so to staple it onto a card that is otherwise going to be predominantly used as a ramp card is actually surprisingly sneaky. Um, and if you can at all recur this, you use it the first use the first half to get you the lands. Then you go cast uh, who knows what to get to dig it back out of your yard and do it again. And this or or use it as the the windstorm type effect. Then I think you're actually going to be um, doing quite well. Um, and the nice piece about this is it's something in the neighborhood of about a buck right now, um, predominantly because. Well, people aren't really looking at it as a card for standard. Um, they're not looking at a card for mo uh, for pioneer. Uh, it might see play, I suppose, in uh, in modern, but I don't think it's fast enough for modern and in, in, in any of the amulet titan decks. Um, so we're really only looking at commander. Well, if you're a commander player, you're looking to keep your budget under control. You're picking up a big target like this for a dollar and putting it in a bunch of decks I think is really, really good um, to the point where you probably should be looking to pick up a couple and, and run with them. Uh, next is, the, is Nylea's Intervention's buddy, Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Um, so this is clearly a throwback to Corsair Crufix, which is from Born of the Gods, part of the original Theros block, um, because it's got a lot of similarities. It's a three-mana, two-four enchantment creature, that you just can't ignore. It has some, and it has something to do with lands. So Corsair Crufix meant you could 
Play with the top card of your library revealed. If it was a land card, you could play it. You gain a life. Um, you know, it was a good blocker. It provided good devotion. Um, Dryad of Lysian Grove has a lot of the same feel to it. Um, three mana. So two and a green. Two, four body. Check. Got it. Um, but instead of letting you play the land on top of your deck to gain life, you can play extra lands uh, from your hand and put them into play. Okay, so you cast Nightly's Intervention. You now have additional lands in play, and now you and you can go and use Dryad Elysian Grove's ability to play additional lands turn. If you have other things like Burgeoning, if you have Azusa, you have all these cards that allow you to play additional things into play. Now you're ramping, and you're ramping pretty hard in a pretty significant way to do something bananas. So um, that right there is good. Then the other clause on it is that all your basic lands are all, are all other basic land types too. Um, I think that is really pretty potent um, because it's, it's fixing. Right, lands you control are every basic land type in addition to other other types. So if you're playing a two, a three, maybe even a four color deck, um, you now just put a second copy of Chromatic Lantern in your deck, and that's really powerful. So it fixes your mana, it allows you to ramp, it provides a, a decent block body. Um, I think every green deck is going to want this, and so I. I, if I didn't put it on this list, I think you're going to say, be saying, geez, what are you doing, Bruce? You totally botched it. <sighs> Number three. This one's also green, and this one's the big one that people have been talking about and saying that it might be band-worthy, is Nyx Bloom Ancient. If I didn't put this on my list, um, I'd be doing somebody a disservice because it's the first ever mana tripler we have ever seen. All right? And this is pretty full-on crazy pants. If you see your opponent play this card, you kill it on sight. You kill it on sight. But even then, that might just be too late. Now, my reason I figure you kill it on sight is this. If your opponent slams this, they have a minimum of seven land or seven mana sources on the battlefield if they're playing this fairly. Uh... And so the floor of this is that it's going to, when it's, this untaps, they're going to have untapped with 21 mana. 21 mana is an awful lot of mana. And they can, they're just going to be able to do whatever they please with it. So, obviously, you see it, you kill it, because you can't let your opponent untap with 21 mana and go crazy on you. You are going to lose the game. It doesn't matter. Basic math says that casual players... Um, are going to have expensive spells in their commander deck. They're going to toss a haymaker out or several with that sort of mana in play. They're going to draw a pile of cards. They're going to drop a couple of big giant creatures that are going to really tilt the game in their favor. It is just nutty. The more likely way that this is probably going to end up into play um, is going to be through some sort of cheating it out or sneaking it out method. Um, and I don't know what, what's the best way. Is it Flash? Uh, people are talking about, you, about banning Flash because they want to get rid of this sort of potential where you flash in next Bloom Ancient on somebody's end step right, right before your turn, untap, go nuts. That's really powerful. And uh, so I think it's unmistakable. 
Uh, now, it's got a lot less nuance to it than some of the other cards. So Dryad and Nylea's Intervention, and even the cards I mentioned earlier in the segment one, have a lot more nuance to them than this. This is just a big old sledgehammer. Like, bam, you want to play this? You want to play this card every time you can um, because you want the mana. That's all it's got. All right. Um, number two, that's the Deep Dwelling. Um, I really like this card for that the claws on it that allows you to blink something. Um, and it has the even ability to tap something down. So it's got an activated ability. It's got a static ability where you can blink something in and out of play. Uh, and she's super abusable. So put her in decks with Brago, Conjurer's Closet, Panharmonicon, Yarok. Uh, all these things partner up with Thassa really, really well. And then on top of it, you have the added benefit of getting a really big and indestructible creature if you can meet the devotion requirement. So I don't think there's, there's not very much that's not to like. Um, the ability to tap things down, I think, could be surprisingly um, underappreciated because there's going to become a time when what either Thassa's not a creature or you don't have a good blocker and somebody's coming after you with a dragon or a demon or something, he, he, a, a, uh, an Eldrazi Titan or something, and you go, geez, I can't afford to get Ulamogged again. And you can spend the mana to tap it down. Sure, it's four mana, but that's not the end of the world in a format where you've got lots of mana usually floating around. Um, if you can get your, who knows, you get your... Uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Your Gilded Lotus, you get your, maybe your, your, you know, your Mox Amber or your Mox Opal or your Mox, uh, the one from Modern Horizons. I'm drawing a blank on this, but I'll get back to you with that one. You have lots of mana rocks floating around. You've got lots of lands. You can tap a bunch of things down. Maybe you can tap, even tap more than one thing down. Maybe you can tap two, three, four. Maybe you could tap them down at the end of their turn so that they're fully, their shields are fully down, ready to get smacked. I think people overlook that sort of ability, thinking that it's not as powerful as it is, when you can then catch somebody unawares with a trick on board and ultimately uh, leave them vulnerable is going to be something that you really have to pay attention to. So blinking, tapping... <clears throat> just a, and a big creature with indestructibility is something that you really are going to want to keep an eye on. To my way of thinking, though, the number one card you're going to want is uh, Nyx Lotus. I think Nyx Lotus is something that people are going to say, geez, I don't know if that's any good. Um, sure, so it's four mana. Comes into play tapped. It's contingent on you having a good board state. However, I think it takes very little work to turn this in from being a, just a dud of an artifact into being a gilded lotus or much much better and uh, unfortunately you can only play one of these in your deck but if you have this or this sort of card um, and you have nykthos and you've got lotus field and you've got all these all these mana rocks or lands that produce multiple lands or multiple mana i mean and then some sort of way to one tap them that's a surefire recipe to head to crazy town um and that's what all i see with the nyx lotus it wouldn't take much to build 
put a couple of enchantments out in the battlefield. You put your ghostly prison. You put your propaganda. You put a few other things out in front of you. Um, maybe you put, I don't know, a hardened, sa- a hardened scales out if you're playing green. Um, you know, whatever. You put some of these, these innocuous, reasonably innocuous enchantments. Enchantments everyone knows are going to be a problem, but do they target them or do they target the one next door or do they target that other thing or do they target the artifact? Um, and they and the chances are they're probably going to sit out on the board. Meaning that by the time you get to cast Nyx Lotus, you've got all sorts of really good, easy ways to access a pile of mana and, and really go to work. People downplayed the potentially potential power of Nyxos, um, and then they saw it at the pro, at the pro tour, and Nyxos went crazy. They saw it at they see it in Pioneer, where the mono green deck has had to have pieces banned out of it uh, because it's just too powerful. The uh, you know I imagine mono black, mono red, they're playing Nyxos too because why wouldn't you if you can find ways to make more than one mana with Nyxos, you do it. Same thing with Nyx Lotus. I think they're actually pretty comparable. The only difference is this is not a lance. So it's obviously not as good as Nyxos, Shrine to Nyx, but I think it's actually, it's, it is quite good, and people really ought to be looking. Particularly if you're playing a two, a one or a two-color deck, I think this can be really, really powerful. Um, lots of ways to untap it. In fact, I'm just thinking of an easy one. Voltaic Servant and this untaps it at your end step, and so you've got a, a mana rock that you can then reuse um, to do something else with it. It's going to be particularly disgusting. So those are my top five cards um, that I think EDH players are going to be really looking for. Uh, we're going to move on to section three, which is we're going to be looking at Croxa, uh, an EDH list that I've, I put together for what I think is perhaps the most interesting commander from this set. All right, so bear with us. Here we go. On to segment three. All right, so section segment three today is going to be looking at Croxa, Titan of Death's Hunger, uh, an EDH deck that uh, I'm going to be reasonably excited to brew up here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Is uh, now that Theros Beyond Death is now uh, finally in paper and something we can pick up. Um, I sat down and sort of racked my brains over what would I do to uh, to put this deck together, and uh, what I do when I do build my decks. Is I build them an architect. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, some people use tapped out. Some people use uh, Moxfield. I like architect. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to include architect, uh, my architect link to my deck, in the show notes of today's today's show. So if you're interested, you want to go check it out. You want to see what I've done, uh, or you have suggestions, whatever. You can go in there and have a look, and see what you think. Um, I thought that Croxa made the most interesting commander for a couple of reasons. Uh, so Croxa being black-red, uh, and just like Euro, has the same sort of text, where you end up having to say, it says, uh, for black and red, you get a 6-6 legendary creature, Elder Giant. When Croxa enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it has escaped. Whenever Croxa enters the battlefield or attacks, each opponent discards a card. Then each opponent who didn't discard a non-land card this way loses three life and you can escape it for black, black, red, red, exile five other cards from your graveyard. So you play black, red 
Croxuk jumps out of your command zone into play. Your opponents all have to discard a card. And you're forcing them to discard something that is uh, that is a non-land card. Otherwise, they start taking damage. So a lot of the deck is premised on sort of making them discard things. So um, some obvious inclusions here are Davriel, Rogue Shadow Mage, out of War of the Spark, Angrath, the Flame Chained, uh, out of Ixalan. Uh, these are other Planeswalkers that are going to force them to discard. Then we get things like uh, Burglar Rat, uh, which is a you know a kind of a derpy little 1-1, one -one, but it says each opponent discards a card. You get on to things like uh, Fel uh, Liliana Spectre, same thing. Each opponent discards a card. You get to... Uh, what else we got here that makes you discard? Well, Sir Conrad. Anytime people mill things, uh, we're playing... Uh, where else was there? Something else. Anyway, so a bunch of different ways to make your opponents discard cards. Um, Arterial Flow is another one. Uh, we're playing... Uh, where is it? Mind Rake playing a bunch of ways to make people discard cards. Then, the other thing that uh, I wanted to play into was this idea of devotion. Theros Beyond Death has a quite a bit of devotion associated with it. And uh, we can then, this deck can also lend itself to playing sort of the devotion-y sort of deck that wants to, uh, you know, use devotion to their advantage. And the big payoff, as always, is Grey Merchant of Asphodel. However, there's another payoff in this in, in that's recently been printed that I think is uh, sort of a sleeper hit, um, particularly in this sort of format. So Ayara, first of Lothwain, is a 2-3 from uh, Thro Throne of Eldraine. That is a for, for black, black, black. And it says whenever Ayara, first of Lothwain, or another black creature enters the battlefield under your control... Each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. So she provides triple devotion to black. Uh, she's got um, really useful ability, uh, sort of plays an aristocrat sort of style uh, game. Uh, you know, you combine that with, with Grey Merchant of Asphodel, you've got a pretty good combination for, for stuff. Um, but, th you know, things like Liliana Spectre, uh, Dreadshade, uh, these sorts of things have got lots of uh, lots of black mana pips to really power up your devotion game, and then sort of the hidden sort of gem, uh, if you can get there, is Abhorrent Overlord, which is a bulk rare from Theros. It's a it's a, a six six flying demon for five black black. It says when Abhorrent Overlord enters the battlefield, put a number of one one black harpy creature tokens. With flying on the battlefield equal to your devotion to black. So if you have, let's say you play, you've run out Ayara. Let's say you've run out um, a Burglar Rat. You Let's say you've run out Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Let's say, you, and an argue is Bloodfast. So you're talking, right there you've got devotion of uh, like six, seven. And you slam Abhorrent Overlord, you get two more. Uh, devotions, you're up to about nine. You make nine one ones, and Ayara triggers nine times. And your opponents, you're very quickly drained out of their cards, drained out of life, 
and away you go. Um, now, all that is fine and grand and all, um, but there's some other fun tricks you can play in this. So Panharmonicon doubles up any into the battlefield triggers. Uh, you're getting Helm of the Host, which is super cute with, you know, you put it on a great merchant, you put it on a foreign overlord, you put it on all sorts of things, and now you're off, you're off to the races and cooking with gas. Um, you know, you get, you know, actually Nyx Lotus in there. You got a Whip of Erebos, which people often forget about as being something to, uh, to use to uh, bring back temporarily things that you want to use. Uh, like a gray merchant of Asphalt to drain your opponents for a big old pile. Um, you know, there's tons of things you can do with, with this sort of stuff. Um, so it's kind of a fun deck. It's kind of, uh, you know, kind of takes you down the road of kind of discarding, kind of sacrificing, kind of devotion, um, all sort of wrapped up in one sort of fun shell. Um, so I think, and it sort of can, can play with his life total. It's not just a straight hell bent, like go for broke group slug deck. Like you could play Mogus. Um, and Mogus from the original Theros block is very powerful, but it's sort of just everybody gets punished all the time. And that's very rarely a recipe for you winning. Um, which if you can deny your opponent's resources, sort of the way Croxa is making you do them, like make them all discard cards and use your other methods of discarding cards to whittle away at their hand. Um, the idea being that you should have something at the end left over that you can use to win the game. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of variant on a black red theme that I think is fairly prominent but is often overlooked and neglected. People want to play black red vampires or they want to play, um, you know, some sort of damage based deck. And I'm thinking the card denial, I think the hand attack is pretty interesting combined with the devotion. So that's what I've done. Now um, the deck based on Ar uh, architects price guide is sort of slotting the price for this deck at about $245. Um, that's a little on the steep side. Uh, I know that some people would say that's not a particularly budget deck. Budget decks are under hundred bucks. I understand. Um, and so there are ways that you could uh, mitigate some of the, the cost that you have incurred here. Um, some of it is in your, the mana itself is reasonably cheap um, because we're not playing uh, Blood Crypt. We're not playing uh, a Bloodstained Mire. We're playing mostly, you know, we've got some, some we got do have some rare lands there, Smoldering Marsh. We've got uh, Dragon Skull Summit. We've got a Canyon Slough, uh, a Cabal Stronghold, these sort of things. You've got some of that going into in there, but you can still pay some of that back if you want to take out the some lands that are that are you know and just play basics you can get that if you really want um some other recommendations is particularly with your creature package um some of these cards are reasonably expensive like the ox is the ox is pretty expensive croxa himself are pretty expensive um cards that haven't been in print very much yet because they're just new are probably apt to be expensive and the price will come down so uh, if you're worried about some of this, then you, maybe you say, well, 
Uh, maybe I don't start building this right away. Maybe I give it a few weeks, let some prices stabilize. Um, it kind of looks to me like Croxum may not be a staple and played in played in Commander. Sorry, played in uh, in Standard. So maybe the price will languish. We can hope, right? Um, some of the other things in here you can probably substitute out for some sort of slightly lesser version. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of money tied up in sorceries and instants because you play things like, um, well, Vandal Blast isn't cheap. Um, Bedevil's not cheap. Chaos Warp is not cheap. So you can find other alternatives to some of those spells if you really need to. Um, but I just sort of went with some things that were uh, kind of uniquely flavored for black and red that were sort of reasonably priced. Anyway, that's the deck. Um, I do suggest you go and check it out on Architect if you are looking to uh, have a better sense about what that's all about. Uh, I think it's going to be a real fun addition to my 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 playgroup. Um, I don't think the price tag is outrageous, and I think it's got a lot of interesting sort of unique ways of sort of playing with black red as a as a color combination instead of just trying to slug everybody to death all right so we're moving on to wrapping up today's show thanks very much let's move on to uh wrapping up i'd like to thank you all for stopping by today that's going to be the end of today's show um i hope everyone is excited to have open their boxes at theirs beyond death uh all the great pulls i've seen some really cool ones already with some of those fancy art cards um looks fantastic and i'm so excited for everybody and to see where uh standard goes see where pioneer goes see where commander goes there's so many when every time there's a new set there's so many new possibilities it makes me really excited um about about it and so I'm really pleased for uh, for what's, what's going to come. The next several weeks are going to be really interesting to see where everybody starts to, starts to go with, with, their, with their building. Um, so, yeah, um, I hope everyone had a, has a, a great time opening their boxes and checking things out. So, if you want to get a hold of me, easiest way to reach me is on Twitter. You can find me at bgray8791, so at bgray8791. Uh, ask me a question, make a suggestion, share a deck idea, whatever you want. I'm all ears. Uh, like I said, I'm your guide. I'm here to help you as best you can, as best I can. So I would love to hear you what you have to say about whether it's standard or pioneer, uh, particularly EDH, because I, I have a vested interest in that. Um, just have a great time playing Magic. Uh, if you want to find out about uh, other talk other talk cards, just let me know. I'm I'm all ears. I'm always open to. Uh, to hearing what people have to say. So, till next time, thanks very much, and good luck wherever you have your next casual encounter.